Today, we are celebrating and this third candle, recognizing in Advent this idea of joy. And I thought joy and happiness were different, but as I read through the whole Bible, I couldn't shake it. I, I like this idea that Christians believe in joy, the world believes in happiness, but throughout the whole Bible, I didn't see a discrepancy. I was wrong. The whole Bible, joy and happiness are the same thing. God's will for us, for you, as a father loves his kids, wants you to be exuberantly happy. This is why when you see a Christian and you ask them, for example, how was church today? And you're like, it was good. Like, you, you feel something's off, doesn't it? You feel like something's weird. Like, you came back from worship and you look like the walking dead. It's just something's off. And so God's will for you and I is, is this idea of joy and happiness. Where we have a disconnect, though, is our basis of happiness is different from what the world might be saying. It's the source of happiness that Christians have changed. So, for example, let me give you this. Throughout the whole Bible, this is a common idea. First uh, Thessalonians 5.16, the Bible says, Be joyful always. This is God's will for you. James 1.4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. Like, just really show of hands, and this might be a little show-offish, but how many of you had such a trial this year and you said, I am so joyful? Like Maybe some, good, good. I want to see some hands, good, because you're, you're on the right track. Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice, always. When's always? All the time. I got a speeding ticket. Oh. Thank you, Jesus, I could drive. Um, even Jesus says this in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you, happy are you, when people insult you because of me, or persecute you, and say false things of all kinds of evil against you because of me. And listen to what he says. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Now, the human nature, we do this. If someone offends you, we live in a very thin-skinned culture, politically correct. People are like, I hate Democrats. <gasps> I hate Republicans. <gasps> you know, we, we have such thin skin. And Jesus is saying, rejoice when somebody says false things about you. Christians, all they care about is just being self-righteous and condemning people to hell. I don't believe in that. But instead of being angry about it, saying, Lord, I rejoice in you. And so the Bible's definition of joy and happiness is not Disneyland. It's not, boy, I hope you get that new car. This joy is be happy when? Always. Wow. Why? The two questions I want to ask are why and how. Why do I need to be joyful always? And then more importantly, how? So we look at today's text in 1 Peter chapter 3, and you can follow along up there um, as well. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 12, and we'll start reading it. Well, I'll read it, and let's read alternate verses. So Peter is writing to the early church, and this is Apostle Peter who denied Christ three times. It's in the New Testament. 
And he's transformed and he's writing a letter to the early Christians who are suffering. And this is what he writes. Um, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now listen to this. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's hinting at your faith is tested and refined by these trials. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious, what's that word? Joy. By the way, did you catch that? Even though you don't see him, you have this joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What an incredible word. And so, so Peter, uh, I want to take this text to say, why should we have joy? And there's two reasons for why you and I can have joy. This is a concept that the world could never understand. This world doesn't fully buy into God. You're here because you may be searching for God. You may have been convinced of God. You are a follower of God. But the world, God is a concept. So for us, why should we have joy? Because we know God. So here's the first reason why we have joy. Peter says this, you've been given an inheritance from God. Just a quick question. Do you guys remember your favorite sneaker growing up as a teenager? Favorite bike? Any favorite dolls? Any favorite toys? How many of you have those objects still with you in perfect condition? I remember in seventh grade, my friend bought sneakers and he left a tag on because that was a thing to do in the 90s. And I was like, you left your tag on. He's like, yo, that's like the cool thing to do now. And so I remember watching and laughing because every time he walked, every five steps, he would stop and be like cleaning out the dirt because your shoes get dirty. He's trying so hard to keep it clean. My point is there's everything in life in this world will die, will perish, will fade. Everything. We're, we're from dust. We return to dust. Nothing in this world is meant to be perfectly saved. So what does Peter say? He says, there is an inheritance you receive that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What is this? We have Jesus Christ who's adopted you and me into his family, and no one could take that away. I, I shared this, one of the stories I shared when I was in youth ministry that I read, it's just haunted me. In Cambodia, uh, there, was a, there was Christians, and they were gathering in, in a small church, and then the, the, the communists and all these soldiers came in and they said, if you want to live, 
spit on this Bible and we'll let you walk out. So all these soldiers with guns. And then one by one, starting with the pastor, they spit on the Bible, and then you can leave. Everybody's leaving, except for this little girl. This little girl comes, and she picks up the Bible. She wipes the Bible, and she says, I could never do this to you. And then right then and there, and you're like, when I heard that, it was so haunting because in Southern California, what is our biggest complaint? It rained. <laughs> you know, there's traffic. And in this part of the world, people's faith are truly being tested. And this little girl is the one that says, I have an inheritance that could never perish, spoil, or fade. I cannot deny the one who's claimed me. It wasn't a worldly happiness, but she was clinging to something that's greater. And a gun could not change that. And so this Peter is saying to the persecuted church, your source of happiness is this. You have been adopted through Jesus Christ, and you have a treasure in heaven that no one could touch and affect ever. And so you could be rich, poor, single, married. You could have kids, no kids. You could have a job or no job. And here's the thing. Your happiness, your joy is grounded in something outside of this world. It is in the presence of God. And so, God's mercy, our new birth, look what Peter says. He has given us rejoice in all this. You greatly rejoice for what? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth through the living hope and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, an inheritance that can never spoil or fade, an inheritance that's kept in heaven and shielded by God's power. Note, this is nothing that you palpably feel. This is where joy is changing. Joy is not, I feel good. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes I could say, God, this stinks right now. God, my innards are just aching with pain. And even still, my joy is not a feeling, but it is this confidence that my happiness is rooted in you. Amen? This is what Jesus has come to bring us. So second reason why we have joy is because the present suffering and hardship reminds us, I cannot wait till I get to my Father in heaven. You know, um, um, I think, I don't know, men and women do this. Do you ever have a vacation lined up, like Hawaii or Australia, in like two weeks? I feel like the best time of vacation is the weeks leading up to the vacation, not the vacation itself. Like, when we had the sabbatical, like, I was, like, so excited for going into the sabbatical. Once I was in the sabbatical, I was like, eh, you know? <laughs> you're, like, you work hard, and you're doing, you're going extra mile, you're excited. Why? You're anticipating this break. And when you're in the break, it's not as, like, exciting as you thought. So sometimes... Leading up to it is more exciting. I think that's a little snapshot of our lives. Our lives are exciting now because this doesn't end. This is not our final say. Jean Cox had a memorial service. She was 92 years old. She was one of those women that we can confidently say, what a woman of God, child of the living Christ. She is received by the angels of heaven, and God is saying, 
this is the one that I have been telling you about angels. She is my child. She's proclaimed my, my, my fate, my me and my son. And so leading up to it, there's pain, there's suffering. But the anticipation of seeing Jesus is the joy. So our suffering makes us ache even more for God. So, so Peter is saying, I so Paul says this in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to, in us. In other words, are you suffering now? Nothing holds a candle to the glory that's waiting for you and me in heaven with our Heavenly Father face to face with Jesus Christ. And so when you anchor into that, everything we suffer through is like, you know, it hurts. Oh, this is hard. But Jesus Christ is waiting for me. He's with me and he's waiting for me. Our treasure is not on earth. Listen, look at this one. Revelations 21, verse 3 and 4. This is at the end time. This is like the last chapter at the end of the Bible. And how will it all end? Spoiler alert if you've never seen this. This is how the Bible ends and the story and your story, my story, God's story collides. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. In other words, God's not in a temple. He's not far. But God is right in the midst of his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Can you and I read this part together? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah. This is the joy that you and I live for. That you can have joy today because in Christ, that is touchdown. This is the finale. That's how it ends. Now I just want to bring it down, just get real here. The happiness that you and I have been striving for in 2016, if it's anything short of that, you really want what you wanted, or do you want that? I really want a new bike. It's nice. <laughs> I really want a new car. It's nice. Great. We need new cars. That's good. But compared to that, where do you want to hope and stand your joy on? Because with that, boy, Lord, I could, I could overcome a lot more than I thought because you have overcome. And so how beautiful. The hope is that God and you and I will walk together. And Tim Keller says this, heaven is not a consolation prize, but because of the resurrection of Jesus, it is back to restoration of your life and my life as it was meant to be. Alzheimer's, as Charles was saying, Get out of my face. Cancer, you have no place here. War, injustice, finished. And so this is why we have this joy. And so how, I want to move to how do we have this joy then? So okay, that's why we have joy. And that's it. There's no need to go. Jesus Christ died and rose again. We have a hope that's anchored in. So if my life goes downhill from now, I don't like it but my joy won't be shaken. So how? And Peter answers that. You ready? So Peter, verse 8, says this. 
Though you have not seen him, who? Jesus. Isn't that cool? Early Christians haven't met Jesus either. So some of you are like, I never saw Jesus. I can't believe in someone I didn't see. You're not. Hey, early church, they didn't see Jesus, but they believed in him. Though you have not seen him, Peter says, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Wow, you haven't seen him, but there's this joy in you because you love him and you believe in him. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What does joy and suffering look like? What does joy look in the midst of, like in the midst of suffering? Here's two things. Can you say this with me? Worship and trust. That's it. What does joy look like in the day-to-day life? Got a speeding ticket. I'm happy. No, no, that's kind of, that's, you're in denial. That's weird. <laughs> you know, your mom has cancer. I'm happy. No. That's not what this is talking about. What does joy look like? Joy in your language and my language looks like this. We worship and we trust. That's what the evidence of joy in our lives look like. So take, for example, Job. Let me give you one Old Testament example, New Testament. What happened to Job? Raise your hand if you'd like to replace and have Job's experience. You don't know or you just don't want to. Job lost his business, he lost his health, he lost all of his children at the same time, and they died. And it says in Job chapter 1, verse 20, at, the, at this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. That's a sign of mourning. This is unconsolable. This is, this is unbearable. And then listen to what it says next. Then he fell to the ground in worship. What did Job do in the face of crisis and suffering? I hate this. I'm mourning. I can't believe my children are dead. And yet, I fall in my grief and worship. It doesn't feel good. But what does that confidence and joy look like in God? It's worship. So let's go to the New Testament. This is a little more fun, less, less heavy. Paul and Silas in Acts 16. <laughs> this is a funny story. They're walking around. There's a girl walking after them. Oh, you're here for Jesus. You're proclaiming the Savior. And it says Paul and Silas got so annoyed, they turned around and said, in Jesus' name, demon, get out. It's <laughs> like, why didn't you do that earlier? So the owners of this girl, basically trafficking her and making money off of her, got mad because they were losing money on her. So they, they got the mob and said, this guy's they're teaching lies. They're, they're undermining the government. And it says, the mob came and beat them up so bad, they almost beat them to death. And then it got worse. They got thrown into prison. They were locked, stock, and barrel. You know, lock... They put your legs inside that hole, and it's, it's actually very painful. I thought it was just an incarceration. It's brutal. Um, we saw that at the apple picking somewhere. Okay, so wh- what would you do if you're Paul and Silas? You just got beaten to death. You got falsely accused. What do you do in prison? 
Trust. Anybody else? Acts 16, 25 The crowd joined in the attack against Paul. Verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Verse 24, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were cursing out the guards and the people that were not praying for them or there for them and saying, why am I doing this? No, oh, wrong Bible. At the midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. What were they doing? Woe is me. Why me? Why me? Oh, no one has a worse life than me. Never. You see, Christians, we don't wallow in self-pity. In Christians, we don't give into the trap of that black hole of self-centeredness, of no one knows my pain. We worship. Amen? We worship. Worship is a declaration of joy that this current situation could have the battle, but it's not going to win the war. And whatever is going on in your life, that response is worship. I hear this a lot. Hey, I didn't see you at church. Oh, I'm just not in a mode to worship. I'm just not in a mood to worship. What, what does that mean? So you worship when you're feeling like it? Try that with your wife. Hey, honey, how are you? Hey, Jason. I love you, Jason. I'm just not in the mood right now. I'm just, I'm just not feeling it. Just, we're not married right now. Like, I just, when I'm feeling like it, I'll come back in marriage. <laughs> come back with the black guy to church. You know, our status and who God is is not defined by our feelings. We worship. There's a song from Hillsong that we sang at church called the Desert Song, and this is my song in the desert. And the, there, there's a verb, there's a verse in there. It goes like this: All of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. What is your reason to sing? Because my life is good. Because you are God. Period. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. All of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. Why are you worshiping? Not because you feel like it, but because God is still God, and he still holds, even in the midst of our pain, you and me together through Jesus Christ. Amen? This is our joy. That can never be shaken away. You could put a gun to my head. I may still cry like a, like a little sissy, but I will never let God not be God, even if these things happen. These are the realities of our lives. So we worship. So I want to challenge you, church. When you feel hard-pressed, what do you do? Worship. If you're by yourself, pop in a song. If you are, have the time, come to church. If you don't understand God, it's okay. Just enter in and say, explain. So we worship. Two, Peter says this. Though, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And so we kind of hinted at this. Why do we worship and why do we still, how do we show joy? You show joy with a trust 
in God. Trusting hope, peace, and faith leads to this joy. Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in what? All things. What is all things? Everything. And so trusting God even when it's hard. And so I want to kind of wrap this up with a book that I just read. Because I'm like, this is easy for me to preach. And i got to tell you, I'm going to be honest. I'm not welcoming it, but I haven't had an exorbitant crisis that I know some of you have. And so I wanted to relate and understand, can I preach this to people who lost children? Can I preach this to someone who lost their spouse, who are grieving, and say, hey, have joy, pucker up, go worship. And I realized I need to understand more. So there's a book that I read, um, and I, wanna sh- I think the cover is right here. It's called In the Cleft, Joy Comes in the Morning. And this is written by a lady named Dana Goodman, and she experienced everything that Peter is talking about, and then some. And this is what she went through. When she was married, her husband, of thir- who was 30 years old, died of cancer within three months of discovering cancer. Now, that's bad. So she remarried after she went to a new church, and she was grieving and understanding, like, okay. Met a new husband and discovered, wow, God, you have a purpose, Christian guy. A few months into the marriage, he got this bump on his neck. Found that he had this sarcoma that, that was unique. He's still alive, but he had to battle with stage three cancer for the rest of his life. Now that's bad. Two years later, she has two boys, 12 years old and 10 years old. 12-year-old boy named Zach. Zach wakes up with an excruciating headache. And he's slurring his speech. And she said, my gut told me, no, Lord. Turned out he had a tumor in the brain size of a nectarine. And doctor says to a mom, your son has 12 months to live. So how do you grasp in all this joy? Zach died within a year later, and he got baptized in that time. The nation found out they're in Canada. And let me give you a little, little picture of Zach. This is Zach's testimony as a 13-year-old just before he died on the day of his baptism. This is what his faith looks like. A megaphone of hope was telling the world cancer might have its way for a while, but it would not defeat him. I had seen what Zach had been through, his fear, discouragement, and loneliness, yet he stood up and told people that God was with him. People's lives were being transformed by his faith and courage. And this is what she writes, joy in the midst of suffering took on a whole new meaning as seeds of love were spread out through Zach's testimony. All of the angels rejoiced because Zach could overcome death even though he was dying. Let me just read that one more time. All of the angels rejoiced because Zach had overcome death even though he was dying. Love had the final say. And from Zach's testimony, a guy wrote a letter to the mom saying, I hated God, I hated church, but I had to go to this memorial. And from Zach's testimony, my heart softened. And I made myself right with Jesus. And I realized I need to have God as my hope again. And from this guy's life, she goes on. 
And so a few, two years after that, her mother-in-law dies of cancer. And so in all this, she's, she's aching and holding on and saying, God, what is this? What is this? How do I find trust and confidence in you? And she keeps hearing love, love, love. And the verse that keeps going, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And joy was, was holding her up because Jesus was holding up this pain with her and through her. And so, I want to end the sermon with the final words she wrote in her book, but I wanted to say this to keep it real. What kept her going was the reality that Zach is not going to have cancer, that her husband is receiving him, that Jesus Christ is welcoming Zach, and that there will be a place where cancer has no power. So even though he died, death didn't win. Amen? And that is the power of Christ for you and me today. And so I got to say something before I read her final letters, and then I just want to let her words be your message. There's a temptation right now to think, I got to have joy right now. But I want to keep it real. Joy takes a long time. For her, she said it was excruciatingly painful. It took years for her to discover that out of this pain and tragedy, I could trust God again. So we have to bear patiently, cling to Jesus, and the fact that you're seeking him and asking him is the process. But to ask for it right away, it's unrealistic. And this is why we get discouraged. I can't do it. I don't have the joy. And God is telling you, day by day, lean into me. And grief can be a very self-focused journey, but my heart began to burn for the greater purposes of love God had for me. I wanted to use my pain to heal others, and she discovered God's love is the power of joy in her. So let me end with this. This is her final words in the book, and I'll close. My well of joy transcends feelings. I have learned to find joy in all circumstances. Not a giddy joy due to things going my way, but a deeper, wiser joy that comes from knowing I can survive any storm. He already overcame all I would ever face, and he has said it is finished. Before cancer ever hit our family, Jesus had already endured it himself and had provided a path through it for us. For that reason, I can have joy in the morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Every day my heart grieves and every day I find joy. Jesus touches me so I can press on to the good part of my life still unfulfilled. He promises to return all that has been stolen from me. I cannot wait to watch Zach grow up in heaven. I have missed watching his life here. And knowing the heart of Jesus, I am convinced I will see the missed years unfold in heaven. I also look forward to seeing Jay, her husband, with both of his boys again, laughing, playing, rejoicing together for all eternity. Jesus' promise makes me want to shout for joy. No matter what we come up against, his appearing is as sure as a dawn. He will come to us like the showers, like the spring rains, the water, the earth. Hosea 6.3, his love never fails. I want you to discover and anchor into a joy that Jesus Christ is for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, may you be our joy. May we experience pain not as something to avoid, but something inevitable. Fashion in our hearts, Lord Jesus, that your strength and your presence is what keeps us going. 
And may, not, may we not only survive, but thrive and glorify you because the work is yet to be done. May our pains be used to help and heal others as your power of resurrection is at work within us. Jesus, you are our joy.